I opened Ryanair's Twitter feed five minutes before our first conversation with today's guest, and I was greeted with the tweet, Good morning, Karens. So that tells you everything you need to know about Ryanair's social media personality, which, love it or hate it, has put the brand front and center of press headlines, social mentions, and reaction videos over the last two years. It's now on a mission to become the most talked about brand on social. And to tell us how they're making that happen, we're joined today by Michael Corcoran, head of social media at Ryanair. Yeah, huge goal there to become the most talked about brand on social media as an airplane company. Now, how did he do that? Well, Michael heads the team up and he's so passionate about what he does and so unapologetic for who they are as a brand. They live and breathe what they talk about on social and that's why they're so successful. In this episode, we cover how to deliver over 111 million impressions per month using only lo-fi memes and reactive gags, the truth behind the infamous plain head character on TikTok, and how to create lean internal processes specifically designed to become even more reactive on social. Well, Michael, welcome to Social Minds. It's such joy to have you on, finally. We're going to start off by asking you our overarching question, as we always do. And this week, that is, what are the business benefits to being a bit of a bastard brand on social? A bit of a bastard brand. Um, I'd say a lot of people would say uh, a big bastard brand. Uh, no, look, I, rather than using uh, that language, which of course we don't do on our channels uh, sometimes, uh, we are more of a tonic when it comes to the corporate world of social media. And there's a couple of, uh, I guess, there's a couple of reasons why we, we take this approach. Our vision is to be the most talked about brand on social media. And it's backed on some really good brand, customer and category insight, along with what's happening in the world of social media and the landscape. And it's from that that's kind of influenced the direction we've taken. Because prior to me starting um, about 12 months ago, it feels like four years um, with the work that we've been doing. But there was, a strategy was non-existent. However, there was a lot of legacy and DNA within the brand from old days of PR. Uh, we would have always been known as a provocative brand, as a disruptor brand and how we've marketed ourselves. Um, and PR was a huge element of that. And it was how do we take that forward as something valuable for us and bring it into the world of social media that bit better, especially within our tone of voice and uh, how we act and speak around trending topics that are happening in the world. Within the category, again, it's look like all social media, it's a sea of sameness and clutter at the moment. And, you know, to grab attention, you have to be different. And certainly in the airline category, most accounts and, you know, some of them may be offended or not, is the majority of it is destination travel content and pictures of plane wings that people take as user generated content. Yes, it might perform to a certain level, but it certainly won't stand out and deliver on the vision we have to be the most talked about brand. So already we have to do something that goes against grain within the category to grab attention, certainly in social media. We all know about this and I don't need to mansplain that. The final part of what's influenced it is that the perception of flying low cost is far, far away from the perception of flying premium. However, a lot of customers and the insight that we see and we've gotten, they don't see that difference in expectation. So they're looking for premium experience on a low cost airline. Um, and it's something that we want to go on a journey of changing um, and doing it in a way that is right. Certainly on social, we're trying to do it in a way that has grabbed attention. And it puts us on the line sometimes between being self-deprecating and also, you know, degrading our product and service a little bit, which is certainly not the case. Um, and we're on a journey of kind of refining and discovering that and making it better. So all of those things put together gives us 
the license, the angle and the opportunity to stand out a bit different. And we all know what grabs attention on social media. It is being topical, it's being relevant and it's being provoking. And uh, we certainly have the permission to do it. And so far it has been a success in our eyes. Yeah, if you can't tell, I think this episode is going to be a good one from the overarching question and the answer. Looking at a few, you know, the conversation we had uh, previous to this pod, you described sending out posts on Ryanair's channels as dropping grenades, uh, which again, I thought was really interesting. So what's the ultimate goal of those grenades? What's the, what's the purpose of dropping those? Probably my team, the fact that I've said this on a podcast will roll their eyes because they've probably heard that word about 500 <laughs> times in the last couple of weeks. Look. Entertainment is number one about how we can grab attention and people go to social to escape. Their main motivations are to get away from the shit show that's going on in the world and to be entertained in some shape or form. And that's a primary part of the content that we want to do in order to drive talkability, drive reach and uh, deliver on our results. When I talk about grenades, the content itself is one element of entertainment value. However, I mentioned the perception change, the customer problem that we have and what we're trying to solve from a social media point of view. And those grenades are actually fueling conversation within our community sections or our comment sections of our content. And a lot of this is derived a little bit from the experience we've had on TikTok, but it's within there that it's changing the perception and getting people to think about Ryanair a little bit better than they have been of the past. Social media has its echo chambers. People naturally come and troll negative. It's all par for the course and people, some, some people get a thrill out of that or uh, like doing it. However, we have a lot of advocates because the majority of people who use our product are fine with it. But I use this analogy a lot too. So if any of my team are listening, I do apologize. <laughs> but when you get post from the postman, you don't open up the door every day and high five him and tell him you've done an awesome job. Fair play. You waste it, man. You're the best postman ever. We're a low cost airline to get people from A to B. And in most times we do that and we do that as close to on time as we possibly can. But not a lot of people are going to now sing and dance about that. What these grenades do is one, it entertains. Two, it's a team or topic about changing that perception or around flying low cost. And then what it does is for every person who's talking negatively for the sake of it, we're seeing comments come true where people are starting to advocate it and explain the low cost model, being perfectly fine with it and advocating that we give them exactly what they need. And those grenades now are starting to change the sentiment and change the perception for the brand, which is the problem that we have from day one within our strategy that we're trying to fix. I know when we talked last time as well, I mean, I was trying to put my finger on like exactly on when I noticed Ryanair sort of on social. And it was probably around the time you guys really um, kicked off your TikTok. But, you know, you've said Ryanair was already pretty active, especially in the reactive space uh, before you joined the team. Um, and with you having joined, you've had to implement a strategy um, that sort of come after this existing behavior. So after coming in and implementing this strategy, have you found it challenging to have to justify some existing behavior with a proper strategy as opposed to having started with a strategy and then building out your responses from that so is there anything that you've had to put a stop to or had to tweak because it now no longer makes sense under this new proper strategy that you're you're going with now to guide the behavior I think we're too early in the strategy just yet. So it was developed in the first kind of four or five months of when I started here. So you're talking about October, November last year. And, and really when it started to take charge, it was probably around the time of Partygate and Boris, where we started to grab a lot of attention on Twitter and other channels um, around the content that we did. And we um, from there, we started to kind of test and learn. And nothing essentially is off the table uh, when it comes to what goes on our channels. There are certain things, obviously, we're, we're not going to be in, in any way offensive from... 
your obvious call out topics. However, from an in- in- inward point of view, safety, we never for good or for bad will talk about and certain things around um, operations we won't speak of. However, outside from that, everything is open game and we don't always have to bring everything back to us, but we do try our best to kind of hit three or four points. Is it entertainment worthy? Does it indirectly or directly connect with airline or travel? Is it unhinged? And uh, does it drive talkability? Um, and there's loads of other things we're working at, but nothing is off the cards to an extent. But there are some judgment calls we know ourselves we can make. And there has been some content that does go out there that may not go out there again. Um, But we're very lucky that we have the license to test in a live environment. And I'm very lucky that my my seniors are allowing us to do that and giving us a carte blanche approach to how we develop the channels, how I build the team and how we execute. Now, they do feedback, Mm. but their feedback comes after it goes live. And then we take it on board. We consider it. And probably one good observation at the moment that we're trying to look at how we fix and we've just had a session on it ourselves is we're very self-deprecating. We are who we are. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And we're trying to, I guess, change people's thought process on traveling low cost and the first world problems that are associated with that. However, sometimes we may push the line on the difference between a first world problem, low cost operations, and actually making our service sound worse than it is. Because there's a lot of really good elements of our service that we um, need to do a better job of and almost sometimes turning those negatives into positives rather than being overly self-deprecating or negative on that. And that's an observation that's come true from our team. It's observation from seeing how people are reacting um, and also from other people within the business. So that's something we'll try and solve now that we're starting to get a read of where the line is in that space. Do a little bit less of that. Look at opportunities to turn negative into positive on all the good aspects of you know flying with us. Because at the moment, again, whether people like it or not, we're probably the most reliable airline out there. The least amount of cancellations, the highest amount of capacity. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid now, so I'll give you all the the, the corporate speak. I mean, I um, I wanted to ask on the tone of voice, especially with that. Yeah. You said that was already coming through um, before you joined. You said that a twinkle of a tone and the charm was coming through, but there was no big picture guiding it. I mean, when you get here and that hmm. that's sort of already established and people are kind of already responding to it, was has that helped you in a sense because you sort of knew what you were on with or is it a case of um you know adding that strategy in place after the fact and saying well you have to sort of make this work now for where we're going because it's already been set up it's a little bit of both but the tone still needs to be developed like across multiple channels we're trying to be a certain tone in the world of say twitter but it doesn't relate to the tone or the language used in tiktok so there has to be elements or traits of the character of the ryanair admin which is a pillar of what we do we're trying to characterize admin as a creator itself as a, a creator-led approach so we need to refine it but it was it was lucky that we inherited that from what's been there for ages so we probably it's of no shock to people if we speak and act in a certain way because of the associations of of the tone of the past and the, the advertising of the past. So it was it was easy to translate it, but it certainly does need to be refined. It's interesting you talk about admin there because we recently recently had a talk with uh, Innocent Drinks on a, a past pod about the rise of you know the the admin on social and they were of the belief that too many brands sounded like the admin who runs it rather than the brand itself. So for example, on a Tuesday, Tom's running the account and then uh, on a Wednesday, it's Wendy, you know, <laughs> that was coincidental. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously it will change on a day-to-day basis. So I know Ryanair, Duolingo has benefited from that admin, 
you know, own profile going viral in that way, obviously very popular on TikTok. But what's the stance on this? Are you now focused on carving out Ryanair's brand tone of voice or on the contrary, hiring people with the kind of personality that you want on each platform? Again, it's a, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. Um, admin in our eyes is a state of mind. It is a character. And if you walk into the team, you must assume and play that character. Now, that character might differ on from channel to channel. Um, however, it is a characterization of the brand, not the character of the person behind it. Now, are we perfect at that right now? No, we're not. The team are relatively new. We're, we're, we had a bit of a rebuild over the last number of months and the average experience on the team is three months. Um, so we've a long way to go to for people to learn the tone, develop the tone, because again, we're still learning and trying to iterate it. It's still not perfect. But again, we're lucky we're doing in a live environment. But that the, the character should be the Ryanair admin. And if it's not, we're doing it wrong. Now, people can assume when we talk, when we jump on specific topics and go hard on those topics for a period of time, that the admin is a F1 fan or they love Formula One. However, no, that's just a hot relevant topic right now that we're, we're really capitalizing on. Maybe we've gone a bit too far in it. We need to pull back a little bit more and diversify the topics and cultures, but it is a niche community that is very active online. It is a community of people that um, are traveling all over Europe to go to these races, three in fact, which are going to be on in the next number of weeks in the Netherlands, um, Belgium and Italy. So why not tap into that community if we drive consideration to fly with us and there's an association with that? That's our job done very well. Yeah, F1's numbers on social, you're right. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. The impact, of, obviously, the Netflix documentary, I think, has impacted that. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, to tap into that just makes sense. And especially, like you say, I, mean, I never actually put two and two together there. People are traveling using Ryanair, so it absolutely makes sense that way, right? So it's not a case of us just doing it for the sake of it. It's not a 12-year-old intern behind this. The, these are decisions that we are making for brand reach and where we can, business reasons. You know, when we talk about what's what the overall goal of this is, the overall goal is to be the most talked about brand on social, right? And I love that because you've got to Yeah, wait. not just aviation, you've got to shoot like for the, the moon, most right? talked about brand. Exactly. It's not just in your sector. It is absolutely everything. So what I wanted to know is how do you measure that? Obviously, huge, huge goal. Is that through mentions, headlines, reaction videos to your content? How is that? Uh, how, how do you come to measure that? At the moment, it's currently, again, on another journey of how we, we attribute it more. All we can measure right now is what we're um, acquiring on our own channel. So reach is number one. And then from that, it's virality and PR. And then the earned number we need to try and quantify. Uh, we're not quite there on the quantifying of the earned mentions or the earned reach right now. Um, if you take old PR values, which are absolute fluff, by the way, so any PR people watching, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when I worked in my PR, when I worked in my PR days of if a, if a brand got mentioned on a piece of editorial, they always used to say that the PR value was three and a half times worth the advertising value of an ad that would go on that page of editorial. So if you even take that for context, the amount of impact that we have is huge. So we need to figure out how to measure that. I'm not confident on a lot of tools out there at the moment because they're so skewed to the Twitter API and you can't get um, the, the accurate information on other channels. And then the change in the types of channels like your TikToks and your, and your Instagrams that are now using and pushing content and beyond your normal communities to unfollowers and um, to quantify that I, we need to get our heads around things that we are doing though uh, uh, reach is number one our own own numbers we are also now plugging uh, questions into our brand survey that goes out to customers 
um, to see if social is playing a role in, in changing the perception of the brand, seeing as social uh, influencing their decision making to actually buy tickets. And from that, hopefully we'll see some um, some numbers come through to back up the work that we're doing that the vanity numbers are, are delivering so far. And to be fair, the vanity numbers aren't bad. I'll, I'll give you an example now. And I did listen to that Innocent uh, podcast, which is a very good one, by the way. And I know the, the guy from Innocent mentioned that you know, his KPI reach organically is 5 million per month for the innocent brand. And I would have thought that would have been much more. What does Ryanair reach? And again, this is a bit of a humble brag, but it just gives the context of the power of the strategy and the power of the work that we're doing. We reached 111 million people in July across all our channels. Woo, there it is, the live branter. You heard it here yeah, first. Yeah, a bit of brand wars here. I mean, uh, so Michael, you talk about reach being a priority for you. How conducive do you think the number of followers is now to meeting goals like share a voice or like most talked about brand uh, for a brand on social now? It doesn't. It's it's more of a byproduct of the good work that you do, but the channels have changed so much. TikTok, yes, followers is an important indicator, but the way content performs and, and breaks through on those platforms goes far beyond the follower into the for you pages of others. And you see that. You see channels when they get hit gold and they find a trending sound or a piece of creative on TikTok or Reels that does really well, it goes far beyond the reach of their follower number. Like accounts like Aldi might have 100,000 followers, but they're hitting viral content of half a million um, duo and the rest are the same. So uh, followers are a good signal that it is working. And um, what's important and how we kind of treat it is when we hit spikes of reactive content, we do amazing work. It hits gold. But when we don't, our numbers completely drop. So where do we get the value from all that, uh, you know, viral content? I hate using that word of the content that yeah. drives good, good reactive reach. Well, we need to find ways to build an always on foundation of content that re-engages as many of those people that we, we reach with that content time and time again. So as we see those reactive moments happen, our baseline of followers and our baseline of re-engagement is happening. And that's where I see a better signal of the value. If if, if we grow our base, we continuously re-engage them and we find ways every time we have that success to get people to like and, and, and engage with our content more, then I see a better result. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if people definitely. are using followers as a sign of success, it's it's not relevant in my view right now. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and also, obviously, I mean, Reels is a hot topic right now. We were talking about this before we came on, actually, um, about how many non-followers you're hitting. So that follower number, again, really doesn't have that it's much It's where they impact. go afterwards, though, for me as well. Like, Michael, you just touched on there. It's like, you can have a uh, humble brag for me, lol. No, I'm just kidding. I've got like 2,000 followers on TikTok. It's like a normal human amount, right? Go viral a couple of times. No, <laughs> they don't translate into followers. So it's like, I mean, I guess for a brand, it's like, if they don't translate into followers, do they translate into customers? Can you push them into another community? It's like knowing where to funnel them into, I guess, so it's not wasted. Well, look, if, if you keep on finding the right recipe for those pieces of content to break through onto those for you pages or, or those news feeds. And um, if you do it repeatedly, you will yield some form of conversion, whether it's them to randomly go search or go follow. Like if you think of all the talk in wider marketing terms around share of search being a, a huger impact or measure of success of, of advertising and a marketing campaign, it, it probably could stand true to here as well. If, if we're driving top of mind awareness and people are physically going searching rather than following the channel, it's still doing its work. Um, and look, it's a good example. Like I, I think about is it 60% of our 
reaching impressions on Instagram every week from uh, are from reels are from non-followers. It's why we've touched a huge focus and it's why we're even quite aggressive with them on Facebook right now. Uh, as the new change happens, reels are going to be prioritized. So we've been consistently delivering video meme in real format for the last number of months to hopefully benefit from that um, and try and see can we uh, re-energize Facebook, which is it is a secondary channel for us, but it's still delivering a lot of a lot of numbers um, and engaging a lot of people. An important channel for us to change the perception because that age demographic probably has the biggest need to change the perception about flying with Ryanair. We'll get onto channels later on. Just while we're on reach, how are you getting on? I know you mentioned the surveys before. Is that reach 111 million? Is it impressions a month? How is that translating? Are you getting more bums on aeroplane seats? Antidotally, we can say yes, based on how and what people are saying in the community in the comment sections. Certainly on Twitter, people are, are saying that, you know, I used to never fly Ryanair, but I'm going to buy flights now off the back of a piece of content that they found entertaining. TikTok for the last number of years has been saying that as well. I'm, I fly with Ryanair because of their TikTok. So antidotally or holistically or whatever way you want to put a marketing fluffy word on, we can see that it people are saying it, but we can't attribute it just yet. So yeah, I'm cool. hoping that will come true with the brand sentiment surveys because it's not paid media. We're not lucky enough to put attribution models behind it or to track it. Uh, but we do want to find ways to do that. Now, hopefully I won't get bombarded by a lot of cold calls from some sort of tech companies who do this because I get enough of them already. You'll be taking those comments into your annual pay review, I'm sure. Those ones that <laughs> yeah. say they're uh, buying flights because of TikTok. <laughs> I, 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 I hope mean, so. You talk about one of your goals being the most talked about brand on social. And I think I saw you take a really big step towards that goal this week. I mean, for any listeners who aren't aware, there's a certain news story come out about a certain member of the royal family for a certain preference he may or may not have. And of course, Ryan took straight to Twitter with a quip that I think would have most CEOs shaking in their boots. So off the back of that, I want to know what do your approval processes look like You know, inside Ryanair's social team? Is there ever a struggle to defend ideas like that to non-social media people who you know, are in the business, perhaps not as savvy with the channels? Uh, you're looking at the approval. <laughs> so that was your idea. <laughs> uh, it was a team effort. I'm not uh, denying there was a, a gentleman called William we offered a seat to, but that could have been any number of Williams. It could have been a message from a, a passenger who wanted to surprise her husband uh, with a secret holiday that asked us to put a post out on social media. Um, it was just inviting William and there was a, a picture of a seat. Do make of it as you as you will. Um, but no, the approval process is with me. There is a policy in place behind it around certain levels. That's mainly to do now with the evolution of, say, sounds and audio usage, certainly on TikTok and, and uh, IP and image uses, how far we can go um, and what our, what our rules are around that. But I have been lucky enough to be given the license and the trust to push the boundaries. And we will be told more likely than not uh, when we do go over the line after it goes live. More of a case of like ask for forgiveness instead of permission. And it's not even that, it's just correcting us to go, maybe that was a bit too far. Um, the other element is we're very lucky enough to have a CEO who is not shy of being provocative and uh, disruptive himself. So he is a big fan of our approach. He's a big fan of what we do. So he endorses it. So um, there are certain things that we will not go at um, and we will not cover, but there that list is is quite small. 
I mean, I guess let me flip the question a little bit then, because we're normally asking people if they're struggling to sort of defend their ideas to like board members and like C-suite level execs and higher ups. But if that approval process sits with you, what's going through your head then when a member of your team comes to you with something that, you know, they've got a provocative idea uh, they want to run by you? What are your criteria in your head then for deciding whether or not that goes out? Well, we'll take the example that wasn't a reference to a topic or a, a member of a certain family again, because we didn't do that. That that piece of content was a, a lot more high risk than it would have been uh, than what went out. Um, but we stepped backwards and we made it as legal and low risk friendly as possible. So I, I mitigate where and how we can get in trouble. So is there a trademark or an IP issue? Is there a legal implication? Are we deforming uh, people in any way or are we uh, being aggressive or bullying in any way? Or, or is it just a way that can deliver entertainment that is high risk, but has the least amount of po- probability of causing a problem? And again, sometimes we will push that and sometimes we will get it wrong. But to be the most talked about brands, to be mm-hmm. somebody who disrupts, you've got to push the line like that. If you don't, you're just going to probably blend in a little bit and be more like a corporate brand, which is what we're trying not to be. I loved it. As you should see my face when I saw the tweet. I that was absolutely guffawing and I sent it straight <laughs> to these time. Like, I'm asking him about this. <laughs> Look, if we're if if our press office is not getting calls, if we are not getting some form of maybe cease or desist, we're probably not close enough to the line. And that's the role of a good legal department. Would I advise it for other people? No, because it may not work for your brand's tone or strategy. We're very different. And certainly with our strategy and what we're doing, would I recommend it for everybody to follow what we do? No. What I would recommend, though, is for people to learn about how we've developed our strategy Uh, what informs that strategy, how we've built our team and the processes and the structures we've put behind it to make it work. Because this strategy is not for everybody. And you see people trying to follow it. And again, Mm -hmm. I'll try not to disrespect, like take TikTok, for example. Um, Duo openly have said that they've taken our blueprint, but pushed it a bit further. But they did it through a, a mascot. Now you're seeing every Tom, Dick and Harry brand create a mascot thinking that that's how they're going to win on TikTok. And it's absolutely not. And it looks absolutely terrible because it's forced and it's not right. Stealing with pride is one thing. And the world of memes have been built on that. But you've really got to understand what's right for your brand and you've got to be more informed and you've got to make better decisions to, to be unique. And you've got to figure out how to make it work structurally behind the scenes because it's how we're working behind the scenes is what m- makes what we put public work better. And again, we all get annoyed by it in our industry, but it's it's not a bunch of 12-year-old interns running this. We are a team of eight people with, with two units delivering reactive community and always on style content and processes and ways of of doing it right that is addressing common problems that we have from a brand point of view that social is trying to solve oh definitely i mean you'll never hear me say a bad word against jiro i absolutely love them our listeners will know but i'm glad you brought up tiktok because i did um i did want to ask you about that and i mean i think ryanair was probably the first brand to you know take that route on tiktok and start making like kind of outrageous videos but you know like using the plane ahead as like a means to do that um so you're not putting it you know that heat directly on the brand or directly on an admin i want to know what made ryanair take that initial risk on the tiktok um whether or not you were in the room at at the time and it might have been like pre-Michael we say B B M instead of BC before Michael but if you have any intel there what made um, that decision 
basically. I have I have a little bit of intel and it was 100% before my time and I will never take any credit for the starting success of what Ryanair TikTok was. And that goes to a number of people, not just one person um, that has uh, done most of the work. They, they spotted during the pandemic because during the pandemic, um, aviation fell on its feet, which meant that there was not a lot that the business were putting out from a social point of view. And they saw the emergence of the platform happen from a, a personal point of view. So they put together a plan and a, and a proposal to get it approved and it got approved. And in the early days, it started off very crew friendly, very OG, different styles of content until they started to play with the filters and all the internal app products that were within TikTok and they landed on Plainface. And then they figured out that trending sounds was the opportunity that actually gathered or, 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 or pushed reach. Um, so it wasn't overly structurally planned. It was iterative. They learned, they found the right chemistry and the right recipe, and they went on a crest of a wave. And it goes back to that DNA and license to do and say things that a lot of others wouldn't, that they had the freedom to do that. And they did a bloody good job of it. Um, there were kind of one or two people in the early days, I think maybe more who were responsible for it. I'll try and name shout them. Um, I think it's important that we do that. Um, David Elkin and Andrew Mighton were the two guys who, bef- uh, who who started it off. And then people within the team, the Lily Rafferty's and the, the Megan Kennedy's of the world that are, are, are within the team took it over and then took it forward and rode on a crest of a really good wave. And whilst I mentioned a couple of things that, that drove its success, a lot of it is down to bloody luck as well. We got our timing right. We got in before everyone else um, and we, we were able to be... Cr- that's brave, right? Yeah, of course it is. And uh, we will be doing and looking to do similar with, with other channels. But um, look, TikTok has come to a crossroads with us because, you know, we've changed our policy and how we approach new sounds. And um, we also see the rise of other brands. So competition for space is there. We're seeing now advertising going hard. So it means that anyone with a business account or a brand account is now going to see a drop in reach because the wonderful people at TikTok want us to spend money. So now you're going to see that drop, drop and drop. And um, so that's going to cause, I guess, uh, a saturation and a decline on, on numbers and performance. So we have to find ways to how can we break through that and s- still get the value from the growth and the success we've had to date. And a couple of things we're doing is looking at kind of what we call TikTok TikTok 2.0 and how we can potentially look at original content rather than just using a trending sound, plain face and other elements. We're also then breaking the channels into local markets. So Italy and Spain will be two important markets for us from a business point of view. We've now launched an Italian speaking and a Spanish speaking channel over the last four or five weeks, which are doing some really good numbers to date. Italy, for example, has over 35,000 followers in four weeks and it hit its first 1.4 million video um, a couple of weeks ago. So delivering locally relevant content with the same basic principles of what we did in the early days is starting to prove well in those markets as well. So whilst we might see a drop in performance on the global channel because of those certain factors, we can now balance it out because now we're getting local market specific and growing um, within a separate channel environment. But collectively, I think we'll still hit the numbers that we were doing of, of the past. We always say about a channel, you know, they come on the scene, massive organic reach, everyone gets really excited and then obviously scale back. It has to, you know, it's, it's a business, gonna it's happen. a commercial model. It's always going to happen, yeah. Exactly. That's what happens. That's what they do. They're there to, to make money. Yeah, and, and we're, we're customers, right, at the end of the day. So that's why I love this approach because the more risk you take, the more you get, obviously, the more you get it right, the more that translates into, you know, ROI. So it goes back to that element of 
taking risks. And we mentioned the, the the campaign before. What I wanted to delve into here is like the most risky ever. I mean, that's probably up there really, potential with the, the kind of the legals on the line. But can you tell us one idea or campaign that never actually got off the ground? You know, maybe you, you've, you've seen an idea and then you kind of vetoed and went, you know, that's probably even too risky for us. There's nothing really. There, there's probably been topics or customer complaints or, you know, issues they've had that we would have liked to have responded to that we haven't. But truth be told, there's been very few things that haven't made it um, to the cutting room floor. <laughs> it's so refreshing to hear that. Ryan's you know. content graveyard, as we call it, is empty. <laughs> it's it's dead in, in there. We have created a, a chat though call on our on our on our team's chats called the cutting room floor where if they, they want to get something out of their system creatively that they know is too far, it goes into the cutting room floor now so they it doesn't stop creativity because Yeah, I love that though. It's nice to have that outlet for it anyway. You need it, like because when when the when when new members come into the team I don't automatically hand them a set of brown guidelines or I don't hand them a list of things that you do or don't. What I ask them to do is I give them the basic kind of perimeters of the style of content that we do. And I just ask them to concept. And what we can do is they can push the boundaries without too many blockers. Um, and then I start to take them down through the phases of what would be acceptable content. Now, most times they get it very close to it, but then we iterate and change it. Now, those brand guidelines and themes and shape are going to be needed to help us get better shape over time. And look, it all it's all down to different types of creatives, too. A lot of people, once they hear a perimeter or a blocker, certainly in the insurance and finance industry, they go, we can't be creative because we can't do anything. No, they can also become creative challenges, which is also an exciting way to try and solve problems. But we're lucky that uh, we don't. So I, I never try and tell people not to do it. Maybe it's the same in those scenarios too, that it's a, it's a good insight and learning of how to train your team is don't tell them what they can't do immediately because that puts up blockers um, to them flexing their creative muscles. Let them be creative in an internal environment in a safe space and then take them through the journey of where it gets to people or public friendly content. Yeah, it's definitely better to rein in than, you know, strangle no, straight away. It's a very productive way of thinking about it as well, especially when you're sort of raising like a, a team and making sure that they're, yeah, you don't want their sort of creativity stifled at all. But I am, um, I don't know how um, how long everyone's been listening here, but a good couple of years ago, right, we had the marketing meetup founder, Joe Glover, on this podcast um, to talk about empathetic brands and empathy in marketing. Uh, and it might surprise you to hear that he used Ryanair as an example, prime example, actually, of empathetic behavior in a brand. Uh, because we know empathy doesn't really equate to being nice, but just merely understanding uh, and giving people what they want, which I think in Ryan's case seems to be cheap flights or affordable flights and absolutely brutal roast and entertaining content. So to that end, would you consider Ryanair an empathetic brand? Well, yeah, well, like the model and what we do is is what the majority of people want. They want low cost, affordable travel. Like we've opened up travel and again, excuse the fluff, but we democratize travel across Europe for everyone. So we are empathetic. The pain points people have are just an understanding of the business model and the operating model of what we do. We provide choice. So everything is, is an add-on and the business model means that you choose what you bring with you. And for every additional thing you bring, it costs you extra. But the baseline flight price is what everybody wants. And then it's down to how you choose to travel. But so many find that as a negative that are some sort of scheme or money making scheme. Yes, we've got policies where you get charged and fined for certain things. But the main reason that that is not to make money. 
It's to change the behavior. For example, printing boarding passes. You know, people always get angry at that. But that policy is there is to encourage people to download your digital boarding pass. What impact does that have on us? It means that if there's less people operationally running a flight from start to finish, it means the cost of the ticket will be less. So we use that to change a behavior. Are we empathetic? Yes. Certainly in our tone, sometimes it mightn't come across. Um, but again, that is what people are looking for when it comes to content too. But I would consider us to be empathetic. Joe also said, lovingly, I want to just clarify, uh, Ryanair hates their customers and they hate Ryanair right back. What do you make of that? Would you like to comment on that? <laughs> or is this something that oh, Ryanair would like to change or embrace? Of course, we want to be better for our customers. Like that's that's a given. But what people need to understand is if we're putting 3,000 flights per day in the air, um, if we're flying 16.8 million customers last July, it's a very lean operation to get the price of a ticket down. So if something happens, which it will happen, it happens for all businesses and brands, uh, customers are going to be impacted, whether it's our 25 minute turnarounds and something else, people. And this is, these are the things we need to educate on the operating model. Time on the ground costs money when you land a plane. And that's why we have 25 minute turnarounds. It's because it, when they're in the air, it costs us less, which means the tickets are less. So sometimes if they see a few Pringles on a chair, it is not nice and we don't want that happening. But because of the 25 minute turnaround, we don't have time to do it sometimes. So that's a customer pain point. We are looking at ways to try and fix it, but we can't do it that will disrupt the operating model. And that's a challenge that the operations team have. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like your behavior on Twitter, for example, I saw a tweet on the feed this week. It was someone complaining that they'd booked um, a window seat or like selected a window seat and they got the bit of the plane where it's just it's just the side of the plane, like there's no window. And the clapback was like, we sell seats, not windows, like Karen or something. <laughs> like, shut up, Helen. And I was like, that's what I mean when like Ryanair hates their customers right back. Like if someone's going to shout at you, you're going to quip at them. But it's like, it's justified and it's funny and it's not it's not too far, is it? It's it's justified for a number of reasons because social is a space where people get cancelled and the cancel culture mob love cancelling people. What we want to try and do as that tonic and that corporate brand who's trying to break away from that is we want to cancel the cancel culture. We want to cancel the people who try to cancel people for no reasons, who are just shifting their moral compass day in, day out and not reading the small print. Again, that is a good example, though, of was that close on the line or too far the line of the learning? So like looking at the comments and the replies, the majority of them saw the jest in it and saw the right reasons for it. And then some yeah. people didn't. Um, and we need to listen to that. So we do care about our customers. Um, it's just we are a very lean business. And again, goes back to what we do here in social. Social is so important for this brand from a marketing point of view because of the low cost, high return reach and the numbers I gave you earlier. You know, for every euro and resource or, or, or marketing spend, we've got to get maybe 10, 20x of what any other brand has to do because we don't spend the money on advertising. We're a low-cost airline. Everything is taught through like that, which is why social is such an important space for us. No, definitely. And I think that one went down a treat. It was like you're talking thousands of likes versus hundreds of comments or like dozens of comments. You know what I mean, it's like the difference there. That reached about se se about 7 million people. So if you, yeah, if you think about it, it's, it's crazy. And it's also helping. And it's not just the reach number. It's, it's shifting the perception. And that's what we're trying to do.
Yeah. Okay, go on then. Let's talk about that line. What is the line between being self-deprecating and being a bit of a hater? Again, it's a hard <laughs> one to answer because we, 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 we still don't know yet. And like the strategy is just, it's just too young. The team are too uh, inexperienced and, and we're really only learning from implementing it right now. It's too early days to know the line, but we will make adjustments over trying to make sure that we hero the good aspects of our products and service more. We turn problems uh, that are negative into positives backed up with the facts. And uh, we'll continue to be self-deprecating around the points that you need to be, like the distance walking to your gate and all the things that are, you know, people give out about for the sake of it. But you've got to remember, you walk that 5K, you'll get your ticket flight for the price of a can of Coke and a box of Pringles. Yeah, that's very true. So we, we've talked about that kind of the, the more humorous side of things. I want to kind of cover it. We can't escape uh, obviously covid and the big hit as you mentioned before to the the airline industry you know essentially no one was traveling so it's no secret obviously you know Ryanair have to make tough choices maybe price have gone slightly up to compensate um but what i want to know is how you navigate keeping the integrity of the tone of voice which we've talked about quite cutting quite self-deprecating quite out there but then you're dealing with you know really serious customer matters on social sometimes it's not you know, having a window or, you know, these are these are serious topics when it comes to COVID. Or... I mean, like the window one was Joe's because she booked a seat where it was like, the seat comes without a window. But obviously, like, well, yeah, we're talking about in the pandemic, it's like oh, thousands of people like demanding refunds, refunds and not getting yeah. their money back. Yeah, like how do you navigate that and stay true to your tone? Well, anyone who was eligible for one got it. There was a couple of issues around that with delays from online travel agents who booked via third party who wouldn't be official partners with that. And there was a lot of pain points, which caused a lot of PR headaches for us. Uh, but there was some delays. But uh, there we do have separate customer support channels set up. And again, that is another project on our roadmap, certainly in social right, that yeah. we're trying to fix. And in fact, I'm going over to Madrid to try and work with the CES team on that uh, later this month and next month so it's it's early days there's only there's only so much you can do quickly but the impact of that has a sentiment impact and we do want to change that and we we won't be avoiding any problems we're naturally going to get them like everybody else but we we do want to try and see how we can work our approach to customer service and the tone of customer service to match or be similar to the tone of voice or yeah. iteration of the tone of voice i was um, going to ask is it is it completely different is it at the moment, yes. There are two different approaches to that, isn't there? Like, you look at what KFC does here in the UK. It's got a separate channel for its customer care, so it doesn't have to worry about being a bit of a bastard for those issues. But then look at what Innocent does. And in their comments, they like they, they talk seriously, but they still sound like themselves. So I saw one, like, they got like accused of greenwashing on a campaign that they did. And their comment reply was like, that really sucks that you think that, you know, give us an email. And like, it was, it sounded like them still. And we'd be same. So we would try and then defer them to at Ask Ryanair on Twitter. Now, we do have a problem on other channels about how we do that because we don't have customer support Instagram or we don't have customer support yeah. Facebook, but we'll either send them to uh, the .com help center or other. So we'll find ways to navigate it. But that is something on a journey we need to improve on because the, the biggest pain point we have is the volume of first word problems and then customer service um, issues that they can self-fix themselves on their own booking that cause a lot of blockers on solving then the problems we need to solve faster. And it's about trying to, um, I guess, prioritize, manage those uh, problems and get them into our customer support team 
quicker, uh, we'd see a, a big improvement. And that's something we're going to look at, the ticketing, the priorities, the turnaround, uh, how we improve our, our bots and our chats, how we improve our, our help center to be a front door into a lot of self-service tools, a bit like the likes of Amazon doing and in, in our own space, a bit like what Facebook is doing. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people on this uh, who are listening who have lost their account manager uh, face-to-face contact in, in Meta um, because either they're not spending enough or they're just trying to reduce the amount of people um, as account managers and they're going through now um, approved partners. So the agencies of the world, the media agencies um, are your mediator now and they're trying to move everyone to a, a live chat or a self-service help center. Um, and we're trying to find ways and there's reasons to it. Like a lot of the problems can be solved with self-service um, and it means that there's less personnel and uh, managing those issues, which frees up time to solve the big problems and also have less people working in that area. All about leaning down operations, which means lower price tickets. That's what we all want, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's let's stay on channels then. Obviously, you know, we just covered you've got kind of two on Twitter, obviously completely different voice on, voice on TikTok, etc. Have you found that your approach works better on some channels than others. You know, naturally audiences are different across all of them. We've really seen this on TikTok and Twitter, you know, shine. The tone of voice has been great success. But do you find yourself having to kind of wind in on Facebook where those audiences are slightly different or Instagram, for example? Yeah, and it's it's partly by legacy too. It's not just I don't want to go age demographic and say that boomers are on Facebook and millennials <laughs> are on Instagram and Gen Z are on TikTok, even though a lot of it's cheap. But again, the TikTok stats are changing. The the growth and the, the popularity and the fun space TikTok is, the age demographic has completely changed. It's it's depending on your content and how you reach that niche is the important part. What we are yeah. seeing though is like we are iterating. We are conscious of that. Like we would have an always on approach where we try to deliver again right now 10 pieces of video means content per week and 10 pieces of static meme content per week. Why those numbers? We're just trying to build a consistent frequency, trying to get the algorithm to be in our favor. And with that, we were distributing the same content across all our channels. So when you think of video memes in real format, it was going on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube stories. Some of the humor, some of the tone and some of the messaging in each of those just wasn't resonating on YouTube stories uh, or Facebook as well as it was on Instagram. So now we're starting to look at how we either decide not to post it or iterate and create a bespoke piece for that channel off the back and again proof is in the pudding rather than assume let the audience decide the reach is decreasing because they're not uh, engaging with it and if they are engaging with it for negative reasons well then we won't use it example being Liked by Pierre Gasly was this just huge thing that was happening on social media for the last number of weeks. Uh, we did something really big with it, not just on Twitter, but then it transferred into Instagram really well and then into TikTok extremely well. However, we put a tweet gen of that liked by Pierre Gasly post on Facebook and it died a debt because people were like, who's Pierre Gasly? Uh, why is he liking your content and taking it literally? And <laughs> so that died a debt. And there was, there's countless examples of that across all markets where that is happening. So we're learning as we're doing and hopefully we'll get better and find a better format to the types of things each of these audiences like. Um, and also we don't want to assume and, and think that as well, because when you look at what Facebook are going to try and do in the next number of months with the with the changes of the fees and being focused on reels, they want to try and bring more of a younger audience back into that space. Um, so we're certainly not going to ignore that either. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I guess to that end, would you ever see uh, a world in which Ryanair's social personality moves offline, be that in your, uh, you know, out of home advertising? I know you don't go mad on it, but out of home advertising or, you know, like an in-person event, that kind of thing. Do you see it translating off channels like, you know, Twitter and TikTok? I do, 100%. 
Uh, a couple of things we're looking at is uh, how do we look at disruptive opportunities in the physical world, be it clever out of home or being present at an event, be it an event that we run or um, a big event that's happening going on in the world. So how can we present, have a clever, creative idea that drives talkability, that carries PR and then transfers back into social media in some shape or form? We are currently uh, cooking up how we deliver that, trialing it and then seeing can we do it sustainably. One example of what we've learned from social its tone and its ability to drive talkability um, into the world, back into the world of PR and see how that sweet spot of the two of them work really well together. Certainly at a home, we mentioned we will. And then our brand Bible or our brand guidelines, whatever you want to call it, a lot of the evolution of that tone of voice has been born from the success of what we've been doing on social. Yes, it will be kind of scaled back or refined a little bit, but a lot of the self-deprecating, irreverent behavior and tone will come true. The changes in what might differ would be the words that we use um, that are right for those platforms. No, fair enough. I think I'm really excited to seeing that, though. I'm yeah. happy to hear that answer. I think, as you said, like anything you do offline in person events can then feed back into what you're putting out on social that turns into content again. It's like almost the point of PR these days, isn't it, really, to like share it on social and get that extra buzz? Completely. Not all messages from a business point of view can work because if we start doing that, we're going to become that corporate brand talking about ESG. We're going to be talking about certain things that are a bit vanilla corporate bullshit. And no disrespect, but that doesn't mean it won't work on social. It's just where it comes from and how you use the infrastructure of the platform in the right ways. Does it come from our people? Does it come from other people? Does it uh, come organically from customers and um, eventually rising to a point where it becomes a subject that people talk about? One example of that is we haven't gone very hard on a lot of the news has come out this summer over us being one of the most reliable airlines. Uh, we're not bragging about it, but the Sunday Times, Sky News, and many, many publications have gone and looked at the data. There's a lot of chaos in the world with, you know, airport staff, airport traffic control, strikes that all airlines are, are, are having. But we've been the worst hit and we have more flights and more operations than everyone else. But we're not banging that drum ourselves because it will come across probably the wrong way and we don't want that. What is happening is people are reading that PR that is factually backed from a, an independent source. And now we're seeing even in our comment sections, when people say that we're the worst airline ever, people are like, no, hold on a second. They're, they're most reliable this summer. Every other airline has had the most cancellations. We're number two in the world for reliability right now which is madness, but we're always assumed as the worst airline because that's the Ryanair. We are an OG meme. When people say Ryanair, they roll their eyes and they just have to make some sort of noise or expression because that's what they do. But we want to change that. Oh, I mean, you talked about the out-of-home strategy, which I'm excited to see because, like you say, kind of learning whilst you're doing everything's new. And I think all about that, you know, testing is so important. And essentially, that's what you're doing on social, right? Every day there are tests being put out there. So what are the benefits and drawbacks of these tests? Such high risk. It's real time in a live environment. And I always say, I mean, it's a little bit sad. You do always say it. One of the best things you can do is put a tweet out there, knowing it's a banger, and just watch the numbers roll in. Yeah, it's like had an instant failure it. or instant dopamine. Well, well, the we dopamine the effect <laughs> is ridiculous. It's unbelievable. We, but for yeah. you, it must be on steroids, right? <laughs> Literally, I mean, it, because it's so provocative, it must just, you know, shoot up. But then, on the contrary, if it fails and flops, you might feel a little bit deflated and go... Right, okay, let's Even more dread, higher dread, higher, higher yeah. risk, higher reward, isn't it? Well, look, w if it flops, we take it down. 
Um, so we do have a removal and it's more in the world of TikTok or sorry, in Twitter than anything else that if we mm-hmm. don't see it, it have an instant impact, it's not going to, it's not going to catch on. So sometimes we remove a lot of our content and that's okay. But I agree, the dopamine effect, and it's hard for even the team to step away. If, if one other piece of content goes go, goes viral, they're always checking in. They're in bed at half yeah. 11 at night going in and checking. It's not a habit I want them to have, but again, it's hard I mean, not to. you can't to. help it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, can't you, help you put it. it out there. Yeah, you can't help it. Um, so it, it's important. The, the one thing we have to be careful on, though, is is when we force it too much. And F1 is a good example. Like, we've gone hard on that um, and too hard where we're seeing people saying, oh, you're done now. But again, that's a few cynics where the numbers still outperform far greater than the handful of people who are saying boring or you're done. But we do have to be careful that we're not forcing every day trying to get 7 million impressions on one tweet. And I can be guilty of that sometimes too, pushing it going, what are we doing today? We've got to get these numbers because the numbers are so yeah, high. I need we, another hit. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've got Social to be Social okay. junkies. <laughs> yeah, but that's what it is. It's, it, 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 it's addictive, you know. So we have to be careful that some days or weeks will be quite weeks and we need to be okay with that because on the grand scheme of things we've been doing really well like even our reactive like um the expectation from the business is not to be delivering the numbers we have been delivering our kpi every month is to look on average 15 million impressions per week which we are more than covering right now um and if we hit that 10 consecutive weeks in a row we'll look at how we then maybe review that and up it again and see can we grow it further but the expectation is not to hit bangers every week. It's to hit them every now and again. But we've been doing quite well and we've been lucky with some of them. But I, sometimes I think we are forcing it. So we, that's where we need to be careful. Balance out that dopamine effect without forcing it and then people losing interest or going and knowing why we're doing it and just not engaging with it. All right, I've got one last question for you and I want it to be quick fire. All PR is good PR. Agree or disagree? Disagree. Obviously, there's the like talkability is important for us, but depending on what you are being brought through the the shit house for, um, no, it's not. Um, like, and we get our fair share of that too for right or wrong reasons. But within within limits, it is yes, but not all good PR is good PR, and certainly the world is social. When it comes to it, you know, everyone's going to get cancelled at some stage, and it always happens. And you need to be okay with the fact that. Sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes it's going to fail. You're going to have people who will go after you, but then they'll find their moral compass shifts off to their next, you know, adventure that they want to go and cancel and everybody forgets about it. And social is that such fast moving space that, you know, don't be afraid of getting it wrong. I'm not saying don't be afraid of getting canceled, but there will be people out there who will want to cancel you just for the sake of it. And we are one of those brands who will probably get a lot for a number of reasons. But as we change that perception over time, I'd like to see it happen less and less. Well, well, we'll wrap up now. But thank you so much for that episode. I think we've all learned a lot there. Um, really great to speak to you. You're welcome. Listen, thanks. I really enjoy these shows, by the way. I've been listening for quite a while, The Social and Six, even your little bite-sized uh, swipeable tips on yeah. uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> always sharing them with the team. I, th- I Keep it up because there's not enough social media podcasts that are, are, are giving different angles and perspectives. There are a lot out there, but what's important for me is making sure that people understand the how it functions behind it. It can't always be the same. It can't always be set up the same. Um, and our success is not just driven by just tweeting bangers and abusing people or throwing shade or being provocative. It's only working because we have a strategy, we have a team, we have a structure, and we have buy-in from the business. And like 
you need to solve those. So focus on those first. All teams will be built differently to suit every brand's needs. Um, so I would encourage that. Get more guests on who give plenty of insight on that, please. And thanks. Well, from the very first question of that pod, like I said, I think you could tell it was going to be a good one. I really enjoyed that. And, you know, Michael can speak for days and we could have spoken four days with him. Let's start with Ryanair in general. They're unapologetic, aren't they? They know mm -hmm. who they are. They're a disruptor brand. They've disrupted the airline industry. They came along with their cheap uh, prices, low cost and completely different model and have effectively blown everyone out of the water. Like I said, you can't move without getting a Ryanair flight. So they're that disruptor brand in the industry. Then they've now taken that onto social and they are disruptive. No, definitely correct. And I think, you know, for for what it's worth, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but it's certainly mine. And I think, mm. uh, I mean, this time two years ago, I was absolutely furious with them because I was one of the customers who didn't get a refund on a flight they'd booked for still not. pandemic time. Give me a voucher like last year, but I still wasn't traveling. It's a long story. We're not getting into <laughs> that. But what I will just say is, you know, having seen like the content on social and obviously I'm biased and probably easier to please than some customers in that sense. But when I see like this content coming out, like plain head on TikTok, then like the outrageous tweets, they're so funny. I do. I'd like, I hate them less. Softened, I feel better you? about them. Like I said, I'm flying with them again next week. So yeah. it's working like it is doing its job. Um, And I think what hopefully this episode delivered and what I think he was able to give us some insight into is that there is method to the madness. Like there is a strategy going on there. And, you know, whether or not you think they're just making these quips on social for the sake of it, um, it's translating into business results, definitely. Yeah. yeah, that change of perception Michael mentioned, that's what he was effectively brought in to do. And I guess you're a working case study there. You made you a little <laughs> bit angry and now you've softened, like I said, due to, you know, just a brand new has fun. How refreshing is it that a brand has fun? Maybe they should overstep the line sometimes, yeah. but unless you are raging you know, someone on social just absolutely hates everything. Yeah. You know, you're going to see the funny side. One thing I, I, I really was really interested in is the average age of the team is three months. Yeah. Now that's crazy. Well, but there has been an admin, there was definitely an admin on TikTok who was previously working on that before he's come in and implemented this like team and strategy. Mm -hmm. I know because she went viral on TikTok of her own personal profile. Right. There was a little bit of a ruckus in the comments that, you know, get her back on Ryanair because people miss her. Yeah. I think she was the original plane head. Right. Um, anyway, she's going to college. No bad blood. <laughs> well, you know, what I mean, like if you've got this disruptive uh, tone of voice is really out there, you know, style. If you bring in people who are young, they want to learn, they're keen to express themselves, they live social, they know what they're talking about. And then you've got this really young team who are all growing together under the helm of, you know, Michael's leading that team. I, I just think it works perfectly. It's really, really mm -hmm. smart. And if Michael's masterminded that team, then, uh, then you know, absolutely the hats two, off. Two key things though, that are making that work as well. He said the approval stops at him. Love he also it. said the CEO is like, has that sense of humor, the same as the company. Those are two things that are very uncommon and two things that are really making it work. Um, you know, they don't, said like sometimes, or right, if they push things too far, they'll take down a post after the fact. Um, but, you know, it probably happens rarely and even more rarely do they have an idea come to them and they shoot it down and go, or just like, you know, bite their nails over it for weeks yeah. until the yeah, moment's yeah. passed which is what you see everywhere everywhere else basically not being scared of getting a slap on the wrist is exactly. huge on social like you said it isn't for everyone so you know if, if you're a little bit more of a conservative brand don't feel left out here it's just a different style and we've covered so many different styles on the pod so you know you pick and choose what you want to what you want to go for 
but it's obviously working for them. 111 million impressions per month. Mm -hmm. They're doing something right. So mm -hmm. excited to see where they actually take it. You know, we mentioned offline there. Um, not I want to see social. Plainhead in the flesh. That's what I'm right. looking for. Let's end it there. Let's see if we can see Plainhead in the flesh and Evil get her wish granted. <laughs>